0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Can Every Real Podcast. It is your girl, Rachel, back with another episode. We are doing self-control today. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy because we have a lot of scripture to talk about. I am str- I'm still, I need the Holy Spirit to help me cultivate <laughs> self-control so i don't really have anything to tell you uh we're just going to talk really from what the word has to say in all honesty though so i'm going to pray and then we're going to jump right on in so to heavenly father god i thank you lord god for your grace your mercy your love and your kindness i pray heavenly father god that you will speak through your ch- uh, to your children through this episode father god to those who you called to hear it i pray lord that you will open their hearts and their minds to receive all that you have for them in this in this lesson lord and this when it comes to um, The fruit of self-control. I pray, Lord God, that you will help us to cultivate the fruit of self-control and all the fruits of your spirit, Lord God, in our lives and help us to walk them out and help us to bear much fruit in Jesus' name. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to your children, that you will speak to them and that I will be purely a vessel, Lord, but that you will get the glory and honor out of this episode and out of everything that I do. I pray all these things and many, many more in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, before we get to too started, you know, I have to read our anchor verse for the series, which is Galatians 5, 22 through 23. So it says in Galatians 5, 22, 23, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things. There is no law. And so once again, all of the fruit of the spirit they are the characteristics of God. Obviously, not all of the characteristics of God, but they are, you know, many of the characteristics of God. And because they are the characters of the characteristics of God, they are also um, personified in in uh, the life of Jesus. Which, in pretty much all the episodes, we brought it back to Jesus. After we br- we talked about Jesus, and then we talked about how we can reflect, how we can demonstrate, how we can um, produce that fruit in our own lives. So we're going to start with the Old Testament, we're going to get to the New Testament, and then we're going to be done. But I have a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff to read to you guys. Because like I said at the very beginning, I think I said it, um, I... I don't really have anything necessarily to tell you. This is all what the Word says. This is all what the Bible says. This is straight from straight from God, right? So this is all. we just reading scripture today. I don't really have much of my own two cents to add. Um, I have no personal stories to tell, no examples. This is all from the Bible. So... It's going to be it's going to be really good. And I just hope and pray that you will open up your hearts and your minds to receive what God has for you from his word, and that you will receive it. Um, as I was studying, I was being inspired by it. And I pray that you will too, you will also be inspired as we read through it. And like I said, just really open up your heart and your mind and go back, um, read, read along with me, go back and reread these passages, and really let the holy spirit speak to you about self-control and all the, and anything else that he may be trying to get across to you from his word so i'm going to start us off with the definition of self-control so self-control is the ability to control oneself in particular one's emotions and desires or the expression of them in one's behavior especially in difficult situations self-control can be also be described as the war between impulsivity and doing what's right or beneficial it's the ability to control emotions impulses and or or behaviors to achieve a greater goal self-control uh, an aspect of inhibit inhib- in inhibitory inhibitory goodness an aspect of inhibitory control is the ability to regulate one's emotions, thoughts and behavior in the face of temptations and impulses. So a common word we're hearing is t- impulses, temptations, doing what's right, um, to achieve a greater goal, a larger goal, it's about controlling yourself, right? Controlling your emotions, your desires, your behaviors. And so and, and also your thoughts. It's also about controlling your thoughts. So self-control is not only not doing what you're not supposed to do, it's also doing self-control can also be kind of, you know, described as doing what you doing, what you need to do, even though you don't want to do it, you know, like exercising, you don't always want to exercise, but you know, you need to do it because it's beneficial, right? There's a greater goal at place, or, you know, not doing what you shouldn't do, you know, you shouldn't lie or steal so restraining from doing those things is self-control as well so like i said have kind of have those that definition in the back of your head of controlling your emotions desires and behaviors especially in difficult situations especially when faced with temptation and impulses have those that that idea in the back of your head as we go through these several different passages so i want to start us off in the old testament so I'm going to read something real quick from my notes because I just typed it out and I wanted to I wanted to read it pretty much verbatim uh, verbatim. So when it comes to self-control in the Old Testament, we have two examples So first being David and Saul. So in first Samuel, chapter 15, God rejects Saul as king over Israel. And in first Samuel 16, God has Saul anoint David to be the next king over Israel. I'm just giving you a brief summary so that we can get to where I want to be. I want you to kind of understand if you don't already understand, I want you to understand some of the context behind where we're going to start off at, which is in first Samuel chapter 24. If you'd like to go ahead and jump there. Um, So it says in Samuel, first Samuel 17, David defeats Goliath. And by first Samuel 18, Saul is afraid and jealous of David and begins his attempts to kill him. In 1 Samuel 19, Saul is no longer discreet about his desires to kill David. And he told Jonathan and his attendants to kill David, forcing David to flee Saul and leave Israel. David and his men go to several different places seeking refuge from Saul. One of those places was a place called Nob, where the priests of Israel lived. And, where, and when, they were, when David and his men were there, um, they stopped there to get food. While they were there, they ended up eating food that was consecrated uh, food, consecrated bread. And Ahimelech, the priest, gave David the sword of Goliath. Because at this point, David had fleed. Him and his men had left Israel. They had like nothing to their name. Well, they had some stuff, but he didn't even get a chance to grab his weapons. So David gets the sword of Goliath, and that's the weapon that he uses. It says when Saul found out that the priest had aided David and his men, Saul had the priest at Nob killed. So just think of and that's gonna come back to bite Saul in the you know in the end. But that's that's a story for another day. But just think about the, the lengths that Saul was going to, to track David down. He was willing to kill priests, right? The servants of the we're all servants of the Lord, but back in the Old Testament, the priests were especially servants of God and he killed the priest because he felt that they were aiding and abetting David. And so all this stuff happens. Between between David and Saul, and so here we are in Saul um, in First Samuel chapter 24. We are introduced to the one of the one of the two times we're going to read about where David spares Saul's life, and he demonstrates exceptional self control. So I'm gonna read First um, Samuel chapter 24 verses 1 through 10. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the de- desert of En Gedi. So Saul took three thousand eight, three thousand real quick, three thousand able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep's pen along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. So Saul had to go to the bathroom. You know, he had to handle some his business. He needed to meditate for a second. So while wow, so, so it says David and his men were far, were far went. Yeah. But David and his men were far back in the cave. The very cave that Saul was in to relieve himself. In verse four, it says, The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. After Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed one of, God, of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Verse eight, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have been you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. So, like I said, I'm not, I don't really have my own thoughts, but just to kind of sum up, we see David exhibiting extreme self-control when faced with temptations and a difficult situation and and impulses. His own men were like, bruh, this is the opportunity you've been waiting for. This is the opportunity to, to, for the, the Lord, the Lord is like delivered your enemy into your hands. Because at this time, Saul was an enemy of David. Saul was hell bent on killing David. Literally, you know, and so David had every David had the opportunity to end this end the in the chase real quick. He was already at this point. Remember, I said in first Samuel 16 is when Samuel anointed David as the new king over Israel. And in 15, uh, 1 Samuel 15, uh, Saul was officially rejected as king. So 16, David is anointed the new king of Israel. So David knew that he was already anointed to be the king of Israel, but he exhibited patience and self-control because he could have killed Saul in this cave right here, right now in chapter 24, but he did not. Against the, the wishes of his men against his own urge, right? He was fighting back himself because after he cut off the corner of Saul's robe, he was conscience stricken for what he had done. Cause he was like, I shouldn't have even touched him. So the fact that David spared this man's life, self-control. So just let that play in your mind. Let that marinate in your spirit. While we read another example of how Saul spares uh, how david spares saul's life so in first uh, samuel chapter 26 just two chapters later obviously more than two chapters worth of time has passed but in first samuel chapter 6 i'm gonna read verses 1 through 11 and then verses 23 through 24 so it says the ziphites went to saul at gibeah and said is not david hiding on the hill of hakaliah where which faces jeshimon forgive my you know butchering these names these words Verse two. So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his three thousand select Israelite troops to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hil- uh, Hikaliah, facing Jeshimon. But David stayed in the wilderness. Where when he saw that Saul when he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul was had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw that Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. David said, David then asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Jariah, Jorab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I will go with you, said Abishai. Yeah, Abishai, Abish, yeah, Abishai. <laughs> So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spe- a spear his spear tucked in the ground, stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. So David and Abishai went to the camp, and they're actually in the camp, and they're looking dead at Saul. Everybody's asleep. In verse 8, Abishai says to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands similar to the energy of the of his his men from chapter 24 now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear he's like i won't even use that i won't strike him twice he said abishai is like i can get him with one strike we can get we can end this right now so this is this is playing in david's head in verse nine but david said to abishai don't destroy him who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Now, uh, now get the spear and water jug that are near his head, and let's go. So. David's like, we're not touching Saul. I know that you feel that the Lord has delivered my enemy into my hand, but we're not laying a hand on the Lord's anointing. This is the second time David has said that, had to tell his own men, his trusted men, that the same thing he's honestly had to, to remind himself, I cannot touch, lay a hand on the Lord's anointing. So in verse 23 and 24, it says, this is, this is after Saul, David is basically, David tells Saul, basically, I had another opportunity to kill you, but I didn't. Why are you chasing me? I've not done anything to you. I'm innocent. I could have killed you twice now, and I haven't. Doesn't that prove that I'm not trying to kill you? So that's where we kind of are in verse 23. It says, uh, David is saying to David says, let one of your, uh, so he says, here's the king's fear. David answered, let one of your young men come down, come, come over to get it. So the spear that David took that was tucked beside Saul's head, proving that similar to the corner of his robe, that I could have killed you again. Um, In verse 23, it says, The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. So, once again, just let that sit in your spirit when it comes to David and Saul and the self control that David exhibited that he demonstrated twice, he had the opportunity to end his troubles to come to, to end his problems, you know, on the surface, it seemed that way. Anyway, um, it seemed that if he killed Saul, then he, he wouldn't be chased anymore. But we know that there was probably been other things that would have came up out of it because it would have been against God's will for David to kill Saul. Um, So, but once again, he exhibited extreme self-control because he had people, his closest, his close friends whispering in his ear. You can end it right quick. God has delivered him into your hands. Right. But he exhibited self-control because he knew what the right thing was and he did not sway from it. So that's all I got when it comes to Saul and David. Um, Like I said, it's it's less, it's not me. It's more so we're just reading what the Bible says. So we're going to read another little story. And it's going to be in Nehemiah. So real quick, briefly, Nehemiah, read the story of Nehemiah. It's only like 13, 14 chapters long. It's quick read. Um, probably take you about an hour. But basically, Nehemiah, a cupbearer of a a, a pagan king, king of Persia, I believe, was um, given the guy, given assignment to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So at this time, um at the time when this happened this is after the exile so after Israel or Israel and Judah had split after Israel and Israel was already pretty much wiped away and it was just Judah that remained and Judah was then you know overcome by the Assyrians and, you know, um, Nebuchadnezzar and all the different Persian kings. So 70 years had passed since Judah was a like sovereign nation, essentially. So the Jews are coming out of exile and Nehemiah is leading the charge and them rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Basically, beginning the initial works of reestablishing Jerusalem as a city. So we're going to read Nehemiah chapter four, verses one through 15. So this is opposition that Nehemiah faced. Remember, Nehemiah had the God given assignment to rebuild the walls around the, the city of Jerusalem. So this is the, the this is the opposition he was facing, the opposition he was hearing that was trying to discourage him. It says, like I said, I'm reading from one to 15. It says. Uh, when Sam heard that we were rebuilding the wall, He became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they were? Tobiah, the Ammonite who was at his side said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it can it can break down their wall of stone. This is Nehemiah saying, he says in verse 4, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. In verse 7, But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs... The Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So pause real quick. You got some people who are upset that Jer- or Nehemiah and the people rebuilding the wall are doing a good work, right? Opposition just doing good. And what do they do they they pray they say they pray in verse four Hear us O god that for we are despised turn their insults back on their own heads and then he says again in verse nine but we prayed to our god and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat so not anywhere does it said so far and we're going to continue reading does it say that nehemiah stopped his work on the wall right so in verse 10 it says meanwhile the people in judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall also our enemies said before they know it or see us we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work then the jews who live near them came and told us 10 times over wherever you turn they will attack us so Nehemiah is hearing the, the builders talk in a discouraging tone. They're basically like, we're going to die. We're not going to be able to complete the wall. The, the builders were discouraged at this point. But Nehemiah says this, or he does this rather. And, and, and um, to answer back their discouragement, to answer back their, their fear, Nehemiah does this in verse 13. He says, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. So, After Nehemiah kind of set things up in place, he's like, "All right, y'all are scared. You can't work while you're scared. We're gonna post a guard to meet this threat that is looming over our heads." And when and they continue, so they were already halfway done. People try to come in and discourage them even further. Nehemiah's like, "We're not gonna let you stop us from doing this good work that God has called us to." He posts a guard, puts on their armor. They're armed with bows, spears, and swords, and they keep working. That's what we see in Nehemiah. That's what we see in the response. He had a mission, he stuck to the mission. So we're seeing like at least I'm seeing we seeing an element of faithfulness and an element of patience when it comes to self control. I believe I've said in the previous episodes that all these different fruits build on each other, which is why we're saving love for last, right? All the different fruits spilled on each other. You need that patience. You need that gentleness. You need that faithfulness, that goodness to truly exhibit self-control. That is what we're seeing in the story of David and Saul. And that's what we're seeing in the story of Nehemiah. He was gentle with his, he was gentle to his people, but he was also faithful to the, to the mission that God had gave him. And he was patient and all the different things. He's like, we got a work to do. We don't have time to dilly dally. We don't have time to get off track. Right. And with David, we see that element of patience and how he's like, I know that I'm anointed to be king, but this is not the time for me to be, taking that authority into my own hands. God's going to bring that to me. So as we're seeing, like, I just want you to be just seeing how I'm hoping that the Lord is speaking to you. And however, he decides to speak. Um, But one of the ways that I feel that he's speaking to me from this is like I said, just that element of faithfulness and patience and kindness and goodness. And just once again, how all the fruits of the Spirit collectively work together, right? Um, And then especially when it comes to self-control, you do need an element of faithfulness. You need an element of patience. You need an element of goodness and gentleness to truly exhibit self-control. So I'm going to read another passage out of Nehemiah. This is Nehemiah chapter 6. Once again, further opposition to the rebuilding of the wall. This is a little bit shorter passage we're reading. This is from verse 9 to 13. So this is after um, St. Balot, Tobiah and all the other people who were against nehemiah and the builders rebuilding the wall they sent letters to nehemiah trying to get him to come off the wall to come talk to them nehemiah's like why would i stop building this wall to come talk to you you done mess you done got you got it twisted so and then they sent him a letter nehemiah a letter saying basically we're gonna tell the king that you trying to commit treason and you're trying to go up against him and go to war against him and nehemiah's like where did you even get that from you literally just made that up right now you pull it out your butt like quit lying on me And so it says in verse nine, they were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. So Nehemiah was, he was, he was hip to their schemes. He's like, they just trying to say that to keep us from building, to keep us from building on this wall. Excuse me. It says in verse nine, but I prayed now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of uh, Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of, somebody else who was shut up who was shut in at his house he said let us meet in the house of god inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you by night they are coming to kill you but i said should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life i will not go uh he says in verse 12 i realized that god had not sent him but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sinballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would, I would commit a sin by doing this and they would give me a bad name to discredit me. So this is the second time that we see Nehemiah in the story facing up against opposition and this time they were trying to make it personal the first time they were just trying to discourage everybody the rebuilding of the wall all the builders the jews or everybody was going to be discouraged this time they came after this man's name and they and then in the they had a they had a they had this man prophesy against him and you're talking about we should go go in the house of God and we'll hide from them there. And Nehemiah is like, once again, understanding a level of faithfulness, right? To understanding what it is that God has called me to do. God has called me to build rebuild the walls of Judah. I cannot rebuild the walls of Judah if I'm hiding inside the temple because I'm scared and I'm afraid. So Nehemiah recognized that it was a plot. He recognized that it was a scheme to keep him from the good work that God had called him to do, and he exhibited self-control. He exhibited patience, or not patience, but he exhibited faithfulness and self-control because he was like, uh, "I'm not going to let, I'm not going to allow myself to be intimidated. I'm not going to fall into uh, into temptation. I'm not going to fall into, or um, uh, out of like, I'm not going to fall into faithlessness into sin because I'm scared." He exhibited self-control in the face of adversity. So that was Old Testament. That's just two. That's four. That was just two examples of Old Testament, like self control from the Old Testament, David and Saul and Nehemiah. The whole Old Testament is filled with several examples. Those are just the two that I picked today. And I hope that it will bless you. And real quick, we're going to talk about self control when it comes to Jesus. And as we know, there are so many examples to choose from, so trying to narrow it down was really was not hard, but I was I struggled a little bit to try to pick which was the right one. But I felt like the Lord led me in this direction. But I want to say real quick, if you haven't read, um, go read Luke chapter four for yourselves. That is when. Um, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by the devil. Go read that for yourselves. I don't have the time to read it today because we're almost at 30 minutes and I still have several more passages to read. But go read that for yourselves. Meditate on it and ask the Lord to speak to you. But that's another beautiful example of Jesus um, demonstrating self-control in the face of temptation. Right? So let's go read Luke chapter 4. Reread it more, most likely um, but Jesus demonstrates self-control time after time. He was constantly accused of doing some kind of wrongdoing, despite the fact that all he literally did was pre- uh, was do good to people, healing people, and preach the truth from the word of God. But we're going to read Luke chapter 22, verse 47 through 53. This is around the time when Jesus is arrested. So it says, while he looked, well, I'm sorry, it says, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man, this is right after Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives. It says that a man and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus t- to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When Jesus's followers saw what was going on, what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our weapons? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him then jesus said to the chief priest the the officers and the temple of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him am i leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs every day i was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me but this is your hour when darkness reigns so in this example in this well not example but in this passage we see jesus allows himself to be arrested that exhibits immense self control considering that Jesus was the son of God. And he literally did a miracle before he he was led away. He healed this man's ear. So some of his somebody, you know, we know it was Peter, but Luke doesn't specify. But Peter over here cutting this cutting the servant's ear off, and Jesus is like, We ain't doing this, we're not fighting, this is not the time, nor the place He heals the man's ear and he allows himself to be led away. So remember when I said self control is not only not doing what you don't need to do it's also doing what you should do when you don't want to do it because we know if you if you've read in the story of the of jesus in the in the garden when he's praying he's like lord if it's possible take this cup away from me but not my will but yours be done so he's like jesus has accepted his his destiny at this point right he's accepted that i will be crucified on this cross and but i will be raised again on the third day all glory to god but Jesus allows himself to be to be arrested. He had all power in his hand. He didn't have to let himself be arrested. He allowed himself to be arrested as a submission to God's will, exhibiting self-control. So we're going to go to John chapter 19. And as you, hopefully you all know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all gospels. They're all accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus from different angles because they're told from different people. So they have slightly different accounts, but it's all it's just different perspectives of the same person, right? So in, um, John chapter 19, verses seven through 11, we see Jesus is sentenced to be crucified. So this takes place slightly after what we just read in Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, 47 and 53, which we read was Jesus being arrested. This is him being sentenced. So now at this point he's being, he's before Pilate. So in verse, um, Seven, it says, the Jewish leaders insisted we have a law and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. This is where Pilate messed up. He said, "Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you?" And Jesus, this is right here, Jesus was dropping the mic. He said, "You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is greater is the guilt is guilty of greater sin, of a greater sin." So basically, Jesus is like, "Don't get it twisted, my guy. The only reason I'm here before you is because God set it to be that way." Let's not act like you have the power to free me. Jesus is like, let's calm, calm, calm your heels. Calm down. He's like, you would not have any power over me. You would have no power over me if we're not given to you from above. So once again, Jesus is demonstrating exceptional self-control. Jesus is making it aware. Like, I'm here because I want to be here. Not because they arrested me. Like, I allowed myself to be arrested. I don't have to be here. But anyway, I digress. The point is... Jesus exhibits immense self control throughout his whole life, but I focused on um the his Jesus being arrested and his crucifix. the beginnings of his crucifixion, his sentences sentencing, um, just highlight how even in the face of literally like he's about to die, he's being betrayed by his one of his close friends, one of the twelve disciples, Judas, he's being betrayed, he was denied, he's about to die. A very painful death that a death that is only reserved for the the worst of worst sinners you know like high treason against uh the roman empire type energy and jesus allows himself to be led away and and to be arrested he allows himself to be um sentenced by Pilate, despite him telling Pilate, you have no real power over me if it wasn't for the fact that god gave it to you so once again paul jesus understands who he is and where he is but he exhibits he he um demonstrates immense self-control and something else as I'm speaking um, just to remind you um, and just to keep in the back of your head just like with a lot of these different fruit of the spirit gentleness faithfulness I think in gentleness I talked a lot about humility um, and kindness involves a lot of humility and goodness involves a lot of humility Um, self-control involves a lot of humility right involves humbling yourself before the father humbling yourself before other people To be, because you're you're, a lot of times you're restraining from doing something that you want to do. So it it, Sam uh, David and Saul used a lot of humility because he was restraining himself from killing Saul. He was because at that time, like I said, Saul was anointed king, or David was anointed king. Saul was still the king, but David was the new anointed king. So he was he had the rights to the throne, so to speak. But anyway, I digress. But just think about how all these things work together. So I'm gonna finish us up with these last um, two verses. No, no, no. it's two short verses, and then two passages, which are kind of long. So bear with me. But let me see here. Okay, in Romans chapter seven, I'm gonna read verses 18 through 25. And I'm going to read this out of the NLT version so this is the whole part of what about us what about us when it comes to self-control we read about the old testament with david and saul with nehemiah we read about two examples of jesus and uh just demonstrating self-control we referenced the third with the you know in luke 4 with jesus in the wilderness being tempted by satan what about you and me so it says in romans chapter 7 verse 18 It says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Tongue twister, right? Go back and read it so you can meditate on it. But in verse 21, it says, I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. So remember at the beginning I said that self-control is the war between impulsivity and doing what's right or beneficial. So... In verse 24, it says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really went to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And then Romans, read Romans 8, that basically pops out with, you are saved by grace, you know, through faith type energy. That's Ephesians, but Paul wrote both of them. So, we begin with, I want to do what is right, but I can't do it. And I want to, and I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do that anyway. Paul's like, I have a level of uh, a lack of self-control when it comes to not sinning. And so I want to go to 2nd Peter, verse chapter, 2nd Peter, chapter one, verses five through 11. 2nd Peter, chapter one, verse five says, and through your faith, is that right? Verse 5, 2 Peter. Oh, that's 1 Peter. Okay, I was finna say. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5 says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Remember, they have been you have been cleansed from not doing what you need to do and doing what you don't need to do. So in verse 10 it says, So brothers, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, I don't want to do, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I need to do. And Paul's like, there's a conflict within me because of the sin that's in me. In, in like I said, Romans 8, that was Romans 7, Romans 8, Paul clears it up and he's like, praise God, we have Jesus Christ who died as you know, who died in our place. In second Peter, he's kind of following the same thread of because of what Jesus has done because of God's great promises in view of all these things, make every effort to respond, supplement your faith. He was like, build on, build on the generous provision of moral excellence, build it up with knowledge and with knowledge, self-control and with self-control, patient endurance and endurance, godliness and godliness, brotherly affection and brotherly affection, love. He's like, build all these things up. And the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will grow in your self-control. You will grow in your knowledge. You will grow in your love and you will be more and more productive and useful to the kingdom of God. You will abide as you abide in god you will bear much fruit right so i'm gonna leave us with two proverbs and then we'll be done in proverbs chapter 25 verse 28 it says a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls anything can get in and anything can get out right you have no self-control you are a city with broken down walls which means you are not guarded you have nothing to protect you nothing to keep you you are useless (laughs) a city with broken down walls is unprotected vulnerable to your to to your own things that may be going on within you to things that may be trying to get at you from the outside you are vulnerable a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. In Proverbs 16, verse 32, it says, Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. And we, said, we see that especially with David and Saul in both the examples that we read today, in 1 Samuel 24 and in 1 Samuel 26. It's better to have self-control than to conquer a city. David exhibited extreme self-control when he could have killed Saul twice, but it's better to have self-control. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. So I just want to leave you with that. Um, I hope that this episode, you took something away from it. I hope that it was a blessing to you. So my prayer a sound and then we'll be done. So the Heavenly Father God, I thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to come and talk about your word. I pray, Lord God, that you will cultivate the, all the different fruit of your spirit, Lord God, in our lives, but especially self-control, Father God. Help us to grow in this area of our lives, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that we will bear much fruit and that we will continue to abide in you, Father God. I thank you, Lord God, for all that you've given and all that you've done. I pray that this message reaches everybody whom you called for it to reach, Lord God, and it will be a blessing to each of them and that you will speak through your word, Father God. I pray all these things in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So next week, we're going to do love. And we were going to be finished with the fruit of the spirit. I hope that this series has been a blessing to you and that next episode will be a blessing, the, the biggest blessing to you. Um, so, yeah, be praying about that for me because I don't know what I'm going to say yet. <laughs> so, but anyway, until next time, bye. <laughs>